The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Okay, our scripture reading today is from Galatians 1, 10 through 17. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be be to Christ. Christ. Thank you, Margaret Ann. Okay. So we're getting into this book, Galatians. We're going to be in this book for a little while. We started it last week, if you remember, with a record-breaking 12-minute sermon. (laughs) Another distinction about that sermon last week is none of us listened to it. Uh, And the reason we didn't is because we had all the kids here in the room, and it was uh, wonderful and awesome and full of energy. And uh, basically last week, the two points of the sermon in summary were, may we cling to the gospel, and may we never add to it. Uh, So those were kind of the two points of last week, and it's really a lot of the foundation of the book of Galatians. And today, we get deeper into this first chapter, and one of the things that Paul is doing from the outset in the book of Galatians is he is giving uh, testimony. He's giving testimony about his, uh, it's kind of his origin story, in a way, as as he's preparing to unpack the gospel again uh, for these churches in Galatia. And part of this is giving, is giving some autobiography. So what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about my testimony, and then I want to talk about Paul's testimony, and then we're going to talk about your testimony. So those are kind of the three uh, headings, if that, if that helps you get your mind around where we're going. So it's January 21st, 1989, it's about 7.30 p.m., and I am standing in the Wandering Wheels Kitchen Retreat Center on the campus of Taylor University. I'm 15 years old. I'm there with my youth group that I had been a part of for a couple of months at this point, and we're standing in a circle, and we're singing songs to a cassette that's playing on the house stereo system there. And in a moment, in a moment, as sure as I lived and breathed, I realized that I had become a Christian. That was what my conversion was like. It wasn't a a message with an altar call to come and accept Christ. It was a moment where I realized I had become a Christian. And I don't remember all the mechanics of how, But in that moment, it hit me like a tidal wave that I was one. 
And I knew in a, in a, in a way that a 15-year-old kid could process, I knew that everything in my life would be changed as a result of that. And it, and it has been. I'd, I'd been thinking about God for years. I grew up in a home where my, I watched my parents come to faith and then walk that out. I took seriously big questions of meaning and purpose and, and spiritual truth. I was the kind of kid that would, that would look inward a lot and journal a lot and process my feelings and turn things over and turn things over again. I was that kind of, of a kid. But on that night, what I, what I knew is I knew that I believed and that everything would be different as a result of that. And that's part of my story. And that's part of my song. That's my testimony, right? This morning, a four-year-old girl named EJ walked up to me and walked up to several of you and said, I accepted Jesus into my heart yesterday. Four years old. No hi, how you doing? No good morning. I accepted Jesus into my heart yesterday. It's part of her testimony. In this passage, Paul shares a bit of his early Christian experience. He's telling part of his his testimony, part of the story of his spiritual journey. And so I want to invite us all to think about our own testimony, whatever it is. Whatever that testimony is, what is your story? Where are you on the journey of faith? Where have you been? What does it look like for you when you think about spirituality? And what do you want your testimony to point toward? What do you want it to... What's the punchline of your testimony? Do you want your testimony to point to the misery you've experienced in your life, which may be manifold, and part of your testimony is I'm still standing? Do you want your testimony to point to this steady upward trajectory of you just getting better? Or is your testimony kind of at its base a story about God being faithful And you don't know how and why, but he is. So I want us to take a minute to walk through the passage, and and then we're going to make some application, but I want you to be thinking about your own story, because part of the premise of Paul's testimony and, and this message is that no one has a simple story. No one has that, I started here and then I just got better and better and better, and life got smoother and smoother, and everything came together and stayed together, and then got even more together. There just aren't stories like that. Life is more complicated than that. Paul opens this passage, and he says, he asks this question, am I I now seeking the approval of men? And when when he raises that question at the beginning of this passage, what he's doing is he's identifying an accusation that's been made against him by false teachers who, are, who have been saying that Paul is preaching a gospel that is false and that is self-serving. And he's just trying to win your approval of him. And so the testimony that he gives just dismantles this idea. What Paul says in this passage is he says there is no way, no way that he could possibly take credit for how God has used him. Because a key component to his story is that Christ broke him, just broke him. Paul started off as somebody who was hostile to the church. Paul was as committed to the church's destruction as anyone. 
And, it, and he counted this venom that he had against the church. He counted that venom as a key part of his religious devotion. That the, the, the venom that he had toward Christianity was part of his righteousness. And he was a legend. He was a legend among the Jewish scholars of his day. He had risen quickly through the ranks, more quickly than his peers. He left his peers in the dust. Paul excelled in theology. He excelled in understanding church history and tradition. He excelled in hating the church. And he was committed to destroying it, even if it meant he was the one who was going to have to do it. If he was going to have to be the one to get blood on his hands, he was going to do that. And we know he was going to do that because... His conversion happened when he was in the process of doing that. We read in Acts that he was on the road to Damascus, not just for vacation. He was taking this trip to Damascus because he was looking for Christians in order to arrest them, which he had been given authority to do, so that he could persecute them, so that he could extinguish the church. And on that road to Damascus, Christ appeared to Paul. One of the things I love about the Bible is I love that there are certain places where the Bible is really explicit in detail and then other places in Scripture where you know something really explicit happened but the details are, are, are a little... They're hard to read. But here's a passage where, where what we're told is that on his way to Damascus, this bright light shone and it hit him and it blinded him. And he fell to the ground. And out of his mouth came the words, Who are you, Lord? So powerful was the manifestation that he was experiencing. And we also learned that the people around him were not experiencing the same thing he was. And then he heard, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then Jesus told him to go be an apostle to the Gentiles. We're given enough detail to imagine that this must have been an, an, an amazing thing. And yet, don't you kind of wish you had more? <laughs> like, flesh that out a little bit more. I want to know more. But this is what happened. He was, he was there. Christ appeared to him, struck him blind, converted him there on the road. And Paul describes his conversion in this text. Now, look at how he says it. He says this. He said, he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I just hear so much affection for God in those words from Paul. They just they seem to, I get choked up when I read these words because they carry so much freight. Because Paul knows who he was and he never shrinks back from it. And yet when he describes that moment on the road to Damascus when he had this venom coursing through his veins and he's going to stamp out the church and Christ appears and strikes him blind and calls him, he says it this way, he who set me apart before I was born, before any of that happened, called me, me, by his, by his grace, and was pleased to reveal his son to me, which he revealed, right, on the road, in a bolt of lightning, scaring the living daylights out of him, 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might do the opposite of what I was actually trying to do, and that's preaching to the Gentiles. Can you hear the affection for God in these words? Paul knows who he was. He knows who Christ has made him. And so wonder and gratitude and humility just drip from the statement. What's that like for you when you're thinking about your own spiritual testimony? When you consider your own spiritual journey, are there places where you you struggle to keep it together to even talk about it? Because in ways that you never anticipated and could not have constructed on your own, God did something that has all the markers of being part of a plan that was laid out from before you were born, and you didn't have eyes to see it, you couldn't have eyes to see it, and yet, there it is. Tim Keller wrote this, he says, Paul's testimony doesn't only establish his authority as a gospel teacher, it also illustrates some aspects of what the gospel of grace is. It's the power to transform a life that is fiercely devoted to opposing God. And that power extends to people we might not imagine that it could change. Or even worse, people who we might imagine are unworthy of that kind of grace. God took this guy, Paul, who was so fiercely devoted to extinguishing Christianity, and he called him, ironically, to be the apostle who would take that gospel farther and deeper into the world than any other evangelist ever. That's just art right there. At first, Paul believed that any message that extended grace to Gentiles needed to be extinguished from the world. But what ended up happening is he became the lead preacher to the Gentiles, proclaiming the very message he sought to destroy and then defending it with his life. And Paul says, God did that. He says the gospel that he received didn't come from man. His grasp on Christianity came directly from Christ. Of course it did. It had to. Because it wasn't that he was just out of step and needed his doctrine corrected in some places. It was that he hated the gospel. He hated it. And this was not a simple matter of persuading Paul to change his mind on a couple of things. Paul had to be transformed by power. So when you think about your own story, or you think about the story of loved ones, people that you, you want something for them spiritually, and you don't know how it's going to happen, one of the things that we get from this passage is that that transforming work is God's business. He does that. We ask for it. Sometimes we don't ask for it, like Paul. We're just on our way doing the thing we're trying to do to mock Christians. And God says, everything's about to change for you. The historical detail Paul's giving here at the end of this passage is fascinating. He's backing up his story 
And one of the things he says is he says, when I became converted, I did not immediately go to Jerusalem and learn from the apostles. I didn't go from my conversion to hang out with Peter, James, and John and the rest and learn about the gospel from them. Instead, what he says is he went to Arabia, which is Sinai, that area, and he learned from the risen Christ himself. Boy, wouldn't we like more information about that, right? That is a statement that is just, it's just veiled. Like, what is going on? And yet, this is his story, is that he goes and he spends time, he spends around three years, he says, before returning, not to Jerusalem, but returning to Damascus, which was the place he was on his way to stamp out Christianity, and now he's coming back to Damascus in order to proclaim Christ there. And so far, he's not spent time with the apostles. So that's the passage, right, so far. We're going to continue to unpack his testimony as this letter goes on, but for now, what he's establishing as a rebuttal to those who are saying Paul is preaching a gospel that is just self-serving is he's, he's saying how he came not only to know the gospel, to possess, but to possess the God-given authority to proclaim it and to insist upon it. And he's going to go deeper into this. But right now what he's saying is the testimony that I have is not about me learning something clever and then wanting to profit from it. It's having everything that I was zealously committed to upended and then God transforming me in a 180 and then setting me on this path where now I'm suffering with my very life for the proclamation of this gospel. And if anybody abandons this gospel, let him be accursed. So, so that's where he is. He's intense, out of the gate. So now let's focus on our testimony. That's, that's part of his. He goes on. We're going to get to that more in the coming weeks. What is a testimony? It is at its base level, when you think about it like in a legal term, a testimony is, is basically a story of what we know, of what we know firsthand, how we got to where we are. A testimony is not necessarily, however, a success story. I think a lot of times we think that if, if I'm going to have a testimony that's honoring to Christ, it needs to be a story about finding Jesus and then getting be incrementally better. But a lot of times in our lives, that's not the way it goes. What is your testimony, your story? We can feel this enormous pressure for our testimony to be one of continual growth where we're always learning, always improving, always getting better, stronger, more sure-footed than we've ever been. But what if it's not? What if your testimony is, as Facebook would have you say, it's complicated, right? In Galatians, Paul is insisting on a gospel that is rooted in the unmerited grace of God in Christ. That's what the gospel rests on. The unmerited grace of God in Christ. And it's to all kinds of people by grace through faith in Christ. Every believer's testimony is anchored in that. It's anchored in the grace of Christ which was established before we were born. Before I ever had the opportunity to profess faith in Christ, Christ gave his life for me. It's anchored there and it's only anchored there. Not in anything we might do. Not in anything we might say. Anything we might think. We can't add to it. We can't weaken it. We can't destroy it. 
And so Paul asks the question at the beginning of this passage, am I trying, am I trying to win the approval of man? Let me ask this as it relates to how we think of our testimony. Are you, are you thinking of your testimony as something that is designed to win approval from people? In the way you tell it, in the way you think about it, in the way you measure its own worthiness of being told. One of the things I have the holy privilege of knowing as a pastor, as your pastor, is I know a lot of your stories. I know things you go through. I know things you walk through. I know struggles. I know triumphs. I know a four-year-old who accepted Jesus into her heart yesterday. I hear stories. It's part of what I, my job is, right? Is to, is to sit and listen and talk about stories of struggle, of failure, of heartbreaking decisions that we would give anything to get back, mistakes we've made. I hear about struggles to believe. I hear about struggles people have who have walked with the Lord for most of their life, all of their life, and there is this persistent question about the veracity of this faith you've walked in from day one. And I'm, by the way, I'm moved whenever anybody wants to talk to me about a crisis of faith or a struggle to believe because for my money, that reflects a profound depth of faith, right? To say, I recognize this struggle to believe and I, I want to talk about it because it's, it's, it matters. I see decisions that young people make full of confidence and naivete, certain that the collective wisdom of nearly everybody they know doesn't really apply to them. <laughs> I know stories about struggles to be well in body and in mind and the medicine and the therapy that goes with that. A crisis of faith. One of the reasons I love that RUF is coming next week is RUF is one of those ministries that kind of anchors people theologically and prepares them for a life where things don't always go as planned. A crisis of faith can come at any time. Some of us have new questions right now that we didn't have when we were 15 at the retreat center trusting in Jesus for the first time. Or when we went to RUF and first heard the gospel and believed, or when somebody shared their faith with us and something came alive and we couldn't describe it, we just knew that something had changed, something had shifted, and we believed and it was, and it was, it was transformative. But then life happens, and we miscarry, and we lose a job, we divorce, somebody we love dies, illness comes, our hearts break and new questions about God, about this world, about how things work, how things are supposed to work, how this is not going the way that I thought it would, how God is not who I thought he was anymore. They come up. Ask them. Ask those questions don't turn away from those questions. That is fertile ground for the gospel because the gospel has never depended 
on you not having doubt. The gospel doesn't need you to always 100% believe everything. You can't topple it. Which is a relief, right? When for some of us our testimony is, right now, I'm a little lost. Right now, I don't know what God is doing. Right now, he seems silent. Listen, Paul's testimony, it involves a radical transformation, right? You look at his testimony, you're like, this is one for the books. He has this persecutor of the church who becomes then the apostle to the Gentiles. And you may feel like you don't have much in common with a testimony like that, but that radical shift is not where the power of Paul's testimony resides. The power of his testimony, the more powerful truth, is one that every believer in Jesus shares, and it's this. We are called, and we are saved, and we are kept by the grace of God in Christ and that alone. That's not self-serving. But it transforms us. It shapes, shapes how we worship, it shapes how we connect, it shapes how we serve. You knew I was going to say serve, didn't you? You saw it coming. Worship, connect, serve. We're called and saved and kept by the grace of Christ and this shapes how we worship. When we come into the presence of the Lord corporately as a church and individually as disciples, we come by grace. We come by invitation and we're saved by grace and the only appropriate response to that is adoration. What am I to do but adore you and to praise you and to worship you and to thank you? The fact that we're called and saved and kept by the grace of God in Christ alone shapes how we connect with other people. As a church, as individuals, we don't assign value to one another based on our pedigree or on our accomplishments or impressive credentials. Instead, what we do is we find our unity and friendship in what Christ has given us and what he's given us so freely in spite of the worst things about us. And so we have connect groups and we have friendsgiving where you can sign up and go to somebody's house and get to know somebody, and guess what? Nobody has a simple story. So you're gonna come away from a meal like that not only knowing somebody, but knowing the depth of somebody, the complexity of life. We're called and saved and kept by the grace of God in Christ alone, and this shapes how we serve. We're equipped by God in Christ to bear witness to him in this world. We're equipped by him. And our only true testimony is that though we struggle, though we fail, despite our best efforts, despite our most impressive achievements, the grace of God in Christ is enough. It's enough to redeem and use anyone. And so we serve our church and we serve our world knowing that it's the power of God at work in and through us that brings transformation. When Paul tells a story, he has to own some pretty dark parts of it. My story has some pretty dark parts to it. Yours does. But the darkness does not overcome the light. The light of what Christ has done. He took a murderous hater of the church and turned him into the lead apostle to spread the gospel throughout the Gentile world, which I might add is a big part of how the message of Jesus Christ has made it to Nashville, Tennessee in 2019. 
Let's see, you may struggle. Your testimony may be one right now of struggle, of crisis, of faith. You may feel lost. Be encouraged. Be encouraged with this God is at work in this world. And one of the chief things he does for the glory of his name and the worship of Christ is he holds on to us when we have no strength or will to hold on to him. May that be the only gospel that we cling to, forsaking all others for the glory of Christ. Pray with me. Lord, it would be a miserable reality if the gospel was that you died on the cross and our job was to live up to that, was to earn that. Instead, you give yourself freely for us because you know how desperately we need that. And we need to be saved and we need to be kept and we need to be equipped. And so this is what you do. And you take people who struggle and whose stories have, have peaks and valleys and complicated turns and, and seasons where we feel adrift in the world and seasons where we feel uh, like we're the strongest believer that's ever lived, where we have the rug pulled out from under us, where we get to stand in a place sometimes where we are a source of friendship and strength to somebody who's struggling and who needs it. Lord, you work, and so we're thankful. I pray, Father, as we come now to this communion table that we remember that we come to you by your invitation, and your invitation is intimate. It's to table fellowship with you. It's to, it's to having a place at your table, belonging with you, you knowing fully well who we are, who we've been, where we're going, what's coming. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Hold on to us. Keep us. Preserve us. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.